Welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, and I'm in studio with our senior pastor, Scott Richards. Hi, Pastor Scott. How great to you? be here. Oh, it's great to have you in studio. Happy Monday. We hope you had a good weekend. Uh, a lot of folks over the end of last week were without power here in Tucson, Arizona, where we are uh, trying to be live. We're not live right now, but we're recording. And uh, so we've been having some internet issues. So if you catch this episode in post, we apologize that you were able to catch us live. Uh, we'll hope to get it resolved as quickly as possible and get back online. But uh, at least yeah. we have we have some questions that people have asked, and we'll be able to tackle those today. Yeah, so yeah, a quite a one. quite an incredible storm we had here over the weekend. In fact, uh, there was a tornado warning that was uh, given for uh, metropolitan Tucson, and uh, I've uh, seen some areas in town where large, large trees uh, were completely uprooted. Uh, by this. So uh, we do get our share of mm. very interesting weather this time yeah. of year. So. Well, our house was a victim. A tree came falling in, a very over 30-year-old tree came crashing down. Fortunately, most of it hit the front yard and a piece of it hit the garage. But Apparently, uh, from what I'm told, that very same storm took out our ability to be live today. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, we're working uh, overtime to be able to get those things restored. And hopefully by uh, tomorrow, we'll be able to yeah. uh, interact directly with our audience mm -hmm. as usual but uh next best thing obviously is uh, doing a broadcast like this where we can uh record it download it and then post it on the internet yeah for sure and there's multiple ways you can ask questions and if you've never watched us before we uh, we are live streaming or we are recording right now from our studio in tucson arizona from calvary christian fellowship of tucson and this program is called a reason for hope where we take questions from you the audience uh, those who are watching uh, live and you can join us online where you can join let's say our live stream here on Facebook you can uh, just go to facebook.com if you have a Facebook account and you can go to at CCF Tucson and then during the live stream you can just post a question in the comments area and we'll take those questions as we get them we also live stream to YouTube and if you happen to catch us on these social media platforms we'd really appreciate it if you would like subscribe all those good things and our YouTube handle is a reason for hope 546 or you can just search on YouTube a reason for hope and as you watch the live stream again just post any question you want to have answered in the program and we'll be happy to get to it we archive our, our program here a reason for hope that we do every weekday 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time and we archive them on rumble so if you catch us on rumble just hit that follow button because we want to grow our audience there we haven't live streamed there yet but we hope to soon and of course, if you don't want to watch the program on any social media platform, you can just go to our website. That's CalvaryChristianFellowship.com and hit that watch live tab and you can watch the live stream. You can watch our services. You can leave uh, questions in the little questions box or the comment section, I should say. And you can also make prayer requests. So if you have a prayer request that you'd like us to pray for you, you can do that. We have an app in the Apple or Google Play Store with this app you can if you're part of our community here at calvary christian fellowship of tucson arizona you can follow along with our current events what's going on with our children's ministry our youth ministry our services our schedule as well as follow along all our past messages all our archives of, of messages we've given we are a church that teaches through the bible one book at a time so if you want to go through any book of the bible you can go through our archives and you can follow along and do a little bible study um, verse by verse this app also has a nifty little digital Bible where you can leave notes and highlight texts. So it's really handy, and I'd encourage you to check it out. There's so much more you can do with this app. You can also leave questions if you want to just email us directly. 
at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out. No letters, I mean, no numbers, <laughs> lots of letters, but no numbers at gmail.com. And finally, if you want to follow Pastor Scott on Twitter, now called X, I suppose, <laughs> my, my app finally uh, updated, and now I have an X on my notifications, which is a little little uh, odd, but uh, there it is. <laughs> so you can follow Pastor Scott. I, I'm pretty sure everything else is the same. Um, and his Twitter handle is at ScottR4H. So I guess uh, we have uh, a few questions that are left over from previous live streams, so we'll get to those in a moment. But before we do that, how about uh, we take a moment to pray? Absolutely. Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity to be able to uh, spend time in your word here. I thank you, Lord, that you tell us where two or more would gather in your name, you'd be there in the midst. And well, Adrian and I are are here, and uh, we're more than uh, willing to hear your voice and uh, to explore your word during this time. And Lord, we pray as this broadcast goes out, even if it's delayed, uh, that uh, Lord, you would be able to use it in a very powerful way to touch Mm -hmm. the hearts of people. Grant us the ability to be able to speak your truth in love, uh, not to uh, be uh, people that become judgmental or censorious about uh, things, even in the times that we live in right now, but, uh, Lord, to be able to yield our lives to you and to be able to have you speak through us through the power of your Spirit as you honor your word. That's our heart. That's our desire. So guide us and direct us as uh, we embark on this journey of discovery. Uh, lead us into truth as you promised you would. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, there was a, a, a kind of an interesting yeah. Turn of events this weekend, <laughs> Yeah, a little social, cultural uh, stuff that we could talk about. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the things uh, that we enjoy doing on the broadcast is uh, keeping you up to date, uh, not only on uh, matters of uh, biblical prophecy, although I think this issue does touch on uh, a uh, prediction that we find in the Bible, but uh, also uh, how we're supposed to navigate uh, our increasingly post-Christian culture that we live in in this day and age. How you know what are the, about the current controversies mm. that swirl about us and uh, bombard us? It seems uh, through social media. So uh, we uh, try to take a look at these things with a decidedly biblical point of view. We make no apologies for that. And uh, what we want to bring into all of this is a view of different things that are happening uh, through the lens of Scripture. And boy, you, you talk uh, about uh, one of those headlines. Uh, that uh, I really uh, never thought I would see in my lifetime. Uh, You know, we've talked before about how uh, here in the United States we are becoming an increasingly post-Christian society, uh, more uh, pagan than Christian. That that, that really dawned on me uh, when I debated a Wiccan at the University of uh, New Mexico, Uh, The more you look into Wicca, uh, witchcraft, and so on, the more you begin to discover that uh, the average person in our culture probably has more in common with Wiccan spirituality than Christian spirituality, in that uh, the main uh, foundation stone of Wicca is uh, uh, don't harm anybody and do as you will. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much where people are at. Isn't it really closely related to just flat-out hedonism? Um, it depends which strand of it you get into. There's uh, as many threads and uh, and kind of denominations, if you will, of Wicca as, uh, mm. as there are mm. Carter having little green liver pills. But uh, the, the interesting thing that I discovered about that is that the thing that resonates is, you know, there's really no morality, uh, but there is spirituality. Uh, there's an afterlife 
and sooner or later, everybody's going to get there. Uh, the only kind of judgment uh, that you have to deal with uh, from a Wiccan point of view is not getting things right, maybe hurting people in this day and age, but don't worry. They throw reincarnation in the mix so that if you have some stuff you have to get straight, you can come back and straighten it out. And then after this process, you end up in this wonderful paradise place they call Summerland and uh, live happily ever after uh, in eternity. Uh, you know, as far as sexual mores and things along that line, pretty much anything goes uh, as long as it works for you. Uh, so, you know, stop me when you, you feel like any of these things uh, are deviating from where the average person in our society and culture today is at, really, ethically, morally, spiritually. Mm. Uh, so, you know, that was always shocking to me. And, uh, you know, Francis Schaeffer, uh, the uh, Christian philosopher and theologian, uh, talked about uh, living in a post-Christian era. And, and he wrote a number of books about that. The Great Evangelical Disaster is one of them. The God Who Is There is another one. And one of the things that he spoke about was this idea that we are rapidly moving away from this idea that there's any such thing as absolute truth, that God really hasn't spoken. And it's really kind of up to our feelings. It's really kind of up to uh, our own takes. Uh, there is no right or wrong, but thinking makes it so. Uh, you do your thing, I do mine. We meet in the middle, it's beautiful. That sort of mentality. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I read those books, uh, I, I'd say, well, I could kind of see things trending in that direction coming out of the sixties and so on, but boy, oh boy, uh, things have really, uh, accelerated. And, uh, you know, one of the mileposts of this accelerating trend towards being a post-Christian society, uh, can be captured in a headline that uh, ran on the townhall.com, uh, website this weekend. Uh, and here it is. Drag queen has top Christian song on iTunes. A drag queen, a uh, fellow who goes uh, by the name of Flamey Grant. Now, those of you who are familiar with contemporary Christian music, this is a riff on the mm -hmm. contemporary Christian artist Amy Grant. But Flamey Grant, a man who is dressed like a woman, uh, was overjoyed to hear that his debut album, Bible Belt Baby, has charted at number one on iTunes. Not only uh, on the contemporary Christian chart on iTunes, uh, it made it into the top 40 of all genres on iTunes. And, you know, you know, when I was a teenager and all, there was American Top 40 and the Billboard Hot 100 list and all this. But iTunes and downloads are really the best way to measure uh, the popularity of music mm. in this day and age. Well, uh, Flamey Grant, uh, without makeup, is a former lead singer of the band Cademan's Call, named Derek Webb. Uh, Derek Webb and Cademan's Call charted pretty consistently back in the uh, 2000s, 2010s, and so on. Uh, did a number of covers of uh, Rich Mullen uh, songs and, and so on, uh, and uh, were, were fairly popular back then. But sooner or later, like a lot of Christian acts, they fell from by the wayside. And as we've seen, sort of this morphing of contemporary Christian music from you know being more uh, top 40-ish, more pop presentations, to making the transition over to worship music, like Chris Tomlin and other people like that. These are usually the uh, you know Michael W. Smith, the chart uh, leading kind of people. Uh, well, contemporary Christian music 
as it was known back in the day where you had certain artists who put together albums, kind of the Christian alternative to uh, the secular artists would put out their albums and so forth. Uh, kind of fallen by the wayside. Uh, and, uh, you know, as uh, ministries, if you want to use that term, like Bethel and Hillsong and, and so on, uh, began to dominate uh, the musical charts. Uh, you know, a lot of these bands like Cademan's Call fell by the wayside. And, uh, you know, really interesting thing, uh, you know, when you take a look at something like this and you're like, this is seemingly outrageous that a uh, person who's uh, dressing up as a woman, presenting himself as a drag queen and so on, uh, would have this kind of uh, cachet, this kind of pull. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the interesting thing uh, is uh, this in uh, the article uh, that was written on uh, townhall.com, uh, the, uh, uh, the drag per, uh, presenter, Cademan's Call singer Derek Webb, said this, Today, for the very first time, a drag queen has both the number one single and number one album on the iTunes uh, Christian charts. If all the accomplishments in my career, being part of this thing is the thing I'm most proud of, uh, my dear friend Flamey Grant deserves every part of this. So he sort of separates the Flamey Grant persona from the Derek Webb persona uh, in terms of, uh, of how this is presented. So, you know, the, the interesting thing about all of this is uh, how did we get here? Hmm. You know, how did we get to a place where the number one song on iTunes is done by a drag queen uh, and uh, an individual dresses up to look like a woman and uh again you know pokes fun at christian mores and things along this line well uh, you know it, it's interesting uh, to see kind of the process that's involved with this and you know we could talk about you know the macro you know how uh contemporary christian music uh started out pretty much uh, with the jesus movement and uh, there were individuals like uh, larry norman and randy stonehill who are kind of rebels out there and and uh, you know larry norman's famous song why should the devil have all the good music uh you know the idea that uh, they wanted to reach their generation with a song with songs they could relate to you know the the music of the jesus movement i think is really kind of fascinating to me because when you take a look at it now you know it's pretty tame stuff you know, it's very folky, uh, mm -hmm. you know, kind of the stuff you would hear at church on Sunday. But back then, uh, the idea of moving away from organ music or hymns uh, to play songs, you know, three chords on a guitar or, you know, to have drums and electric bass. Uh, I remember when I was uh, working for Salem Broadcasting while I was going to seminary, uh, the uh, fellow who owned Salem Broadcasting would literally call the station and tell the program director to take a, uh, a song off if it had an electric bass in it hmm. uh, or it felt that it was a uh, uh, non-edifying beat behind it. They got a lot of pushback, didn't they, back back then as well, far as well, conservatives and so Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, once again, the tide really turned because now if you go to L.A., you can, uh, you know, listen to The Fish, as it's called, and play nothing but contemporary uh, Christian music and so on became a multi multi million dollar mm -hmm. deal and the, you know the funny thing was the transition was it started out uh, by you know bands like Love Song or you know again Mustard Seed Faith 
or Sweet Comfort Band, these kind of bands that were really doing what they were doing, you know, with a, a motive of outreach. They just mm. wanted to get the message of Jesus out to their peers. And they love music. Yeah. My but, co-author, uh, uh, they had a band called Sela. Yeah. Uh, Rod Robinson, who uh, authored the book Unmasking the Masquerade. Right. And uh, they was really, in, I mean, he wrote uh, a song for Amy Grant. Yeah. Called Bye Bye Baby, I think. It, he, he authored that song. Oh, wow. Wow. But, you know, again... Here you, you saw a transition take place. It, it was a very uh, spirit-led, very uh, non-corporate uh, kind of a movement. Uh, individuals just wanted to get the message of Jesus out in a way that people could relate to. But as is always the case, you know, there's a, a principle in uh, any kind of movement of God that no real movement of God lasts more than three generations. Hmm. The first generation is the one that is spirit-led, spirit-filled, uh, has just deep sincerity about wanting to follow Jesus and to present his word. And uh, that's where God just does a, a massive work. Lots of people's hearts are touched. Then the second generation comes along and basically just tries to preserve what the first generation did while benefiting from the goodies that accrued to the fact that this mass movement got going. And many people were touched and you got a lot of people and people start looking at those sort of things. They go, wow, you know, there's there's really the possibilities of uh, benefiting commercially from this in churches. It's building large facilities or or large institutions, schools and things along that line, you know, media empires, things like this. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, as, as far as having your heart in the right place. But the problem is you get these goodies going. You get all these properties that you own. You get all these churches, you know, and, and things like this. Uh, you got to kind of keep it going. And the second generation uh, kind of rides on the passion of the first generation. And once the third generation comes along, uh, the heart and the spiritual conviction of the first generation that God used to to minister, uh, it, it's all it's gone. You know, they, they don't hold the same convictions. They like all of the goodies and they like all of the uh, the uh, visibility that goes with these institutions that were built up. But the people running it, you know, simply don't have the same heart for God if they have a heart for God at all uh, as the first generation. And so, what is true about churches? You know, that no work of God, no revival, no, no move of God lasts more than three generations. People go, well, that's kind of fatalistic. You know, what do we, what do, we do about all of that? Well, uh, I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. But the, the interesting thing is the same thing happened in contemporary Christian music. You know, you had uh, first just these hippies that were plunking away on their guitars and, and uh, playing in churches and didn't really care if they got paid or not. Uh, you know, and then suddenly people said, man, we should record your music. We should get it out to more and more people. And so, you know, again, record labels were created for that purpose. Maranatha Music was, was part of that. came out of Calvary uh, Costa Mesa. But the idea behind that wasn't so much to make this mega musical uh, machine as much as it was, well, we just need to get the message out as much as we can. When Maranatha Music started, Mike McIntosh, who's the uh, pastor of Horizon Christian Fellowship for years. Uh, he was part of all of that, and man, he used to just uh, put a bunch of the albums in the trunk of his car and try to get record stores 
you know, to, to have some of them in there. And it wasn't really even about uh, making any, any money, you know, or anything like that. They just wanted to get the word out. But then people began to discover that Christian radio stations that say just played Christian teaching, start playing Christian music, people start tuning in. And the more people you tune in, the more advertisers are interested in having their products represented by these things. Uh, you start having concerts. And instead of just having, man, you know, we're just going to do a love offering, man, to pay the band's gas kind of a thing. It's like, well, now we're going to have a uh, Christian fest and it's only, you know, $75 for the whole uh, weekend or, you know, and interestingly, there was a real turning point when these contemporary, these hippies who basically wanted to reach people uh, and contemporary Christian music began to get more and more popular, secular record labels became aware of that. And they said, this is something we can make money on. And so they would buy out these little mom and pop operations that were just there to, uh, to get, you know, the, the, the music out uh, and, uh, you know, sign these artists to record contracts that uh, were rivaling the, even the secular people at particular times. And you'd go on the road. Uh, you know, a friend of mine who was a uh, noted contemporary Christian artist you know, talked about uh, being on the road for uh, over 300 days out of the year. And, uh, you know, how do you, how do you keep going on that kind of manic schedule? But you got it cause you got to strike while the iron's hot and you signed a contract and, and there you go. It, it is so fascinating to me to watch some of the documentaries about contemporary Christian music, because a lot of these headliners and, uh, many of them will tell you this honestly, uh, were under such pressure and such duress and in such isolation and uh, having to deal with the flesh and ad all the adulation they were receiving from people, many of them uh, had serious substance abuse problems. Many of them who were very prominent had marriages that were falling apart or had multiple affairs or things like this uh, because it, it was it became just a, a gig. It became a job, mm. uh, and uh, and you, you had to uh, to keep going on all this. Uh, one contemporary Christian artist uh, I had an opportunity to talk with said that he felt like a dancing bear at the circus. Wow. Uh, and uh, when you see the dancing bear at the circus and they come out and they play the music, you see the bear and it mm -hmm. looks like the bear's having a great time. But you don't realize that the bear was trained to do that by putting a hook in its nose when it's not on stage and that this, this pain and all of this other stuff was what motivated it to look like it was dancing. I was working for Princess Cruise Lines, and this is uh, mid-90s, and every cruise would have a premier music artist who would be the headliner for all the production shows. And the guy I was working with, very talented guy, open for Amy Grant, and he just took me aside. He was openly a gay individual, and he was very open, and he used to debate with me all the time about because he was a believer. Right. And he says, God, I came to finally realize that God accepts me for who I am, et cetera, et cetera. And just told me, Adrian, you have no idea he won a Dove Award. And he basically told me that inside the Christian music industry, he said more than half the guys are struggling with same-sex attraction and things like that. And it's just they're they're celebrating their sexuality by pretending to be and i just thought really this is the christian music industry and yeah and i was just shocked to hear that yeah uh, uh, another fellow that i knew who was a uh, studio musician 
in, uh, in L.A. Uh, and in Nashville uh, said that uh, one of the things that happened when these major media conglomerates took over Christian music and Christian music became Nashvilleized, if you will. Well, you know, Nashville Sound, the Grand Ole Opry, all these things like that. You have all of these professional songwriters that work for these major music companies. And they discovered, these professional songwriters, that if you wrote vaguely ambiguous songs about God or about Jesus, but in a way it was almost like you were singing about your boyfriend or the love of your life. You know, it was like uh, there, there, there was a very uh, subtle difference between, and you could, you could kind of market it both ways. Mm. Well, you could get on the popular top 40 and you could be on the Christian charts as well. And this guy told me that uh, he said uh, well over 70% of the music that is written for contemporary Christian music in this day is written by non-Christians hmm. that you know don't know God at all, but they know how to write songs, they know how to write lyrics, and uh, they know what people want to hear. So you know we see contemporary Christian music going in this direction you know, where, you know, the, these people are being road hard and put away wet. I mean, there was a documentary on uh, Russ Taft, the uh, contemporary Christian artist uh, that uh, showed his struggle with alcoholism, how he showed up for a Dove Awards thing, just so drunk he could barely stand up, uh, you know, and, and it was just like, keep going, keep going, keep going. Uh, you know, we, we've got money to be made here. But once the money stops or some other person comes along, who's neater and shinier and uh, more popular, well, you get tossed by the wayside. And, uh, and the, the interesting thing is the way Christian music has shifted now where worship music is the big deal. You know, it isn't so much a band. Uh, you know, obviously there's still bands that, that tour and, and travel, you know, like newsboys and things like this. Uh, but uh, the, for the most part, uh, the stuff that really sells is worship music. And it's fascinating to me that uh, the vast majority of Christian worship music uh, in our day and age is coming out of churches like Bethel, like Hillsong, uh, and others that theologically, as far as being on the page biblically, uh, really scary doctrine mm. comes out of these churches and you know leadership scandals and things along this line. And, and, you know, the, 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 the problem you get into is this, you know, it, it just uh, reminds me so much of Satan's temptations of Jesus. Uh, you know, all these things I'll give you if you bow down and worship me. And, uh, you know, Jesus turned it down. Mm -hmm. But there's an awful lot of people that are like, yeah, I really I really want uh, that that stage, that spotlight again. And I don't care what I have to do to get it. Now, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to sit in uh, judgment of a guy like Derek Webb, but uh, there was a really fascinating article on uh, the downfall of uh, contemporary Christian music. It was on theweek.com, and uh, it quotes Derek Webb, and this was a statement that he made when he was still the lead singer of Cademan's Call, and uh, this was 2017, before the uh, Flamey Grant uh, persona was invented, and he began to do these sort of things. Uh, he said this, uh, he said, the industry has eased into making church music for churches, unable to recapture the ideas that made it such a prominent force in decades past, 
At least that's how Cademan called Derek Webfield. Now listen to his quote here, and this is where I think the real tragedy of all of this uh, comes in. He says, the way I could describe it, it for our band is this. You're doing something, he says. It's meaningful, it's real, and it's observable, and it's organic. That becomes your bio. But then two years in, that bio is the most real, organic, meaningful thing about you. And all you're trying to do is maintain the elements of that bio in hope that you might one day achieve it again. You find yourself making a lot of compromises, but you're still not receiving the nominations or the sales awards. Notice how they would evaluate uh, success. You don't even need anyone to tell you things are dropping off. You put the idea in your own head. You keep asking yourself the same question. How do we get back to that? Now, he's saying, how do we get back to that? Not in the sense of how do we get back to uh, the idea of just serving God, you know, and, and not caring, you know, about, you know, the glitz and the glamour and the awards right. and the, the, uh, the charts and, and so on. Uh, you know, he's uh, saying, no, I want to get back to the glitz and the glamour and the charts and the awards. How do I get back to that? Well, you know, again, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, but Derek Webb, formerly of Cademan's Call, uh, I believe found his way back to prominence. Mm. And uh, boy, the one thing that you've really got to be careful of in this world, and Adrian, you know this because you were a Las Vegas headlining magician uh, at one point in your career, man, fame, and being at the top and being treated as someone who is at the top, it's a heck of a drug, as they say. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, you need that dopamine rush. Mm. And suddenly, if you're finding yourself going, man, I used to be somebody, and here I am playing you know, a church with 35 people listening to my you know, songs that I used to do, uh, boy, the ego. And the temptation to go down that line is really, really intense. And I think the same thing can happen uh, to anybody that is in a prominent role in Christian circles. And, and this is especially true of pastors and teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a fascinating scripture uh, that we find in the book of Second Timothy, and it, it really is kind of prophetic. And I think we, we're seeing this in these last days and these end times. Uh, in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, if you're doing your drag queen presentation, uh, you can fill in the blanks about uh, these sort of things. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Uh, you know, if you're supposedly doing these songs, like Derek Webb says he's doing them because he wants to, you know, build bridges with the LGBTQ plus community and let people know they're really okay in all of this stuff. Um, uh, is that, maybe. Is, is that, what he's saying, he's not a drag performer. He's just doing it just to make a connection. No, he is a drag performer. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, again, it says, for of, the, of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the mm -hmm. truth. 
Now, as Janus and Jamres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Now, he goes on and he says, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, hmm. deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So, you know, I guess this is what it comes down to. Like even among pastors, and I can, and teachers, I can speak to my own neck of the woods. One of the things that you discover, uh, you know, and, and I think this is really visible in the faith movement, uh, the, the Christian television sort of thing. Uh, you've got to keep upping the ante on these things. You have to, in a sense keep uh, outdoing yourself uh, as far as as uh, your your presentation goes and you know if last week uh, God was doing a miracle of lengthening people's legs who had different le- lengths on their legs well we've seen that you know it might start with being slain in the spirit and the guy throwing his coat around everybody falling over well we've seen that well what do we got to do now okay now there's holy spirit manifested gold dust dropping from the ceilings for prosperity well we've seen that now where do we go well god has given me new doctrines you see god has told me for instance and one faith movement teacher will say this that uh man was originally intended to give birth out of his side and Adam and Eve were able to fly back in the Garden of Eden. There was, you won't find this in scripture, this is revelation knowledge, revelation, they always truly are. Uh, And, and, you know, then they start getting into weirder and weirder doctrine, but it always leads to one place. Uh, It always leads to the idea that you're God or that you can create your own reality. Mm. And, you know, when we take a look at Derek Webb or Flamey Grant is he calls himself you know what are we saying when men dress up as women well we're saying that we're not the people that god created us to be we can create our own reality uh we can be as god and it always comes back round about through all of these these things to that same seductive message that satan always has mm-hmm. and uh, you know as far as uh it uh, charting number one on itunes top 40 in all music, musical genres and so forth. I'm here to tell you something. If in this fallen world, and 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 says, don't love this world or the things in this world. It doesn't say you can't love a sunset. But when it talks about world, it uses the word cosmos. It means an ordered system of opposition against God. Don't love the world or the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life mm. is not from God, but is up from this world. And the world and the lust thereof are passing away. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Mm. Um, you know, there, I, I've had enough encounters uh, with uh, individuals that were involved in contemporary Christian music, like you mentioned on your Princess Cruise and all of this, to encounter a disconcertedly large number of them who you get the decided idea that they would much have preferred to have won American Idol or America's Got Talent to be playing in Vegas than playing churches. But it's easier to crack the Christian 
uh, contemporary music scene and start making those tours and playing smaller venues and things like this than it is to you know, be the next Taylor Swift or, mm-hmm. na- you know, name your, your, your yeah. luminary. Those charts don't have uh, Christian commitment or your theological accuracies as part of the, you know, the required, what makes you on the top charts. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, and I mean, you start to see it, you know, like in, uh, you know, when you would try to bring in a Christian band, they would have uh, a waiver that you had to sign their contract. And part of the provisions of the waiver was they want a certain type of mineral water in the mm-hmm. green room, or they only want green M&Ms in a bowl or, or things like this. Why? Because they can. And suddenly it's not about serving the Lord anymore. It's about serving us. Well, I'll come, but this is the kind of transportation I have to have. And this is the kind of hotel I have to stay in. And this is the, you know, yeah. um, my big question on that is where's Jesus in all of this? Yeah. And and that's always the question that you've got it's, it's to ask. It's been my biggest frustration because a lot of times I share the stage when I'm doing an event. Sometimes it's not just here to do an outreach. Sometimes it's a big event that a church or a ministry is putting on, and I'll share the stage with other performers. And I'll wonder, where's your, what's the message? What are you communicating? You know, Are you right. going to share anything during your presentation? And I would just get frustrated that there was no heart for evangelism or a heart for ministering to God's people heart for edification it was just well we're here to do a show and uh it it was just uh really disconcerting for many and, many years and, and believe me <laughs> i've been around enough uh big time pastors and teachers to know that for some of them it's about preaching a message and then off stage you know it's not about interaction mm. oh, with yeah. the people yeah and uh and yeah it's 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 a subtle uh, but deadly path that people go on. And, you know, when you take a look at Derek Webb, uh, formerly of Cademan's Call, which at one point was a, a very successful Christian band, uh, you, you take a look at uh, him devolving to the point of becoming Flamey Grant. Uh, you know, mm. y- you see how nobody wakes up one morning and says, hey, what am I going to do? I know I'm going to become a drag queen. Nobody does that. Mm-mm. It's a series of bad steps that you make uh, when you start, first of all, believing uh, your own publicity. You start believing that you're special. You start believing that God can't live without you. You start measuring your worthiness by the amount of people in the seats. And then when that changes, you know, like we say, it's, it's, it's a drug. You'll do anything to get it back. Mm. And so uh, lots of lessons, I think, to be learned uh, in this in this current controversy, will this be a flash in the pan? Uh, is this a, a sign of a culture that is swirling the drain? Um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure, hmm. but I do know this, and and this is something we've all got to be aware of. In the Book of Revelation, there are letters to seven churches that Jesus gives. Seven churches in Asia Minor, and there's always this big debate about why these seven churches and why in this order, and is there a prophetic overtone to that, or is it just because they were uh, one church after another on a trade route through Asia Minor? Um, I tend to, to believe that there, because it's a prophetic book, that there's a prophetic significance to mm. that. And it's fascinating to me that when we take a look at the last church 
before we see the things that will take place after this in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, I heard a voice saying, come up here. The last church isn't the church of Philadelphia where Jesus says, uh, you know, uh, you have a little, you have, I've set before you an open door and no one can close it uh, because you have a little strength have kept my word and not denied my name. Uh, not a single word of correction to them. Uh, this outreaching church, this one that stood for God's truth, uh, God was going to keep them from the hour of temptation was going to come on the face of the, the whole earth. Uh, but the next church, interestingly, was the church at Laodicea. And the church at Laodicea was a church that Jesus said, uh, you know, I have this against you. You're neither cold nor hot. I would rather you either be cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm, I'm literally going to spew you out of my mouth because you said I've become rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. You do not know you are poor, miserable, blind, wretched, and naked. Wow. You know, so we have to be really, really careful, especially in an, an amazingly affluent culture like the one that we live in, that we don't find ourselves uh, losing sight of, I guess what uh, Gail Irwin would say in his book is the Jesus style. Hmm. And do we really want to follow Jesus or do we want to use Jesus to get somewhere in our culture, hmm. to get to the goodies, to get to the, the place? Uh, huge temptation. You know, uh, this uh, uh, atheist who became a Christian at the end of his life, Albert Camus, hmm. uh, once had this quote uh, that he said, but too many now climb onto the cross to be seen at a greater distance. Hmm. even if it means trampling somewhat on the one who's been hanging there so long. You know, I, I think that's really what these things are all about. And, you know, uh, pray for uh, Derek Webb. Uh, pray for the people who are influenced by this sort of thing. But pray as well that, that our hearts stay in a place where we have a passionate commitment uh, to God's word, hmm. to walking with Jesus every day, uh, we were talking uh, at church on Sunday about how the church at Antioch uh, pray, were, were, were ministering, to, ministering to the Lord and fasting. You know, we, we talked about how even in prayer, sometimes we come to prayer uh, uh, with a what's in it for me kind of mentality. I come from, to prayer because I want God to minister to me. And I know I need ministry. Mm -hmm. But what an amazing thought it is that when we pray in the way that Jesus taught us to pray, that we don't pray long prayers with vain repetitions that we mean what we say mm. that we don't pray on street corners to be seen by men but that we have a personal and private time with god that no one knows anything about that that we pray the priorities that jesus laid out in what we would call the lord's prayer focusing in on praise asking for god's power asking for his provision uh, within our lives uh, you know again asking for his spiritual protection and purifying our hearts uh, you know we pray in that way you know, and, uh, and even with fasting, uh, fasting in such a way that nobody knows you're doing it. You're doing it as unto the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus made this marvelous statement over and over in that section of scripture. He says, your father who sees in secret mm -hmm. will reward you openly. You know, is that enough for us to, to really passionately follow Jesus? Or are we going to be kind of that third generation thing, three acts in our own lives? On fire for the Lord when we're young. Maintaining it in middle age. Uh, oh, yeah, I used to believe that stuff when we're old. No, I, I want to be one of those people that, uh, that goes out uh, with, with my heart on fire for the Lord. But 
all I can do to do that is to walk with Jesus today. Mm. And, and when we forget about that, we get our eyes on other things, well, other things will take over, take the place of God. Hold fast to that which is true. Stay in fellowship. Stay in the Word. Yeah. Be willing to be taught. Yeah. What, what uh, do you think that those three generations and movements of God and how they come to an end, do you think that the money has a huge factor in in those movements that if it's lucrative they tend to get corrupted yeah. or it could it be independent of whether it's lucrative or not well i think jesus laid it out i mean one of the most radical statements he made was you can't serve god and money hmm. and the pharisees scoffed at that because they loved their money right yeah. you know and those were the religious leaders right hmm. how do you become a pharisee you know <laughs> i mean what what process what transformation has to happen in your heart uh to become so hardened uh, that when you look at Messiah himself, you say, no, I'll, I'll lose my position and my place and all my bennies. And, uh, you know, I, I think of the rich young ruler, you know, where uh, this guy said, came to Jesus, fell on his face before Jesus. He's a synagogue ruler. He was rich. He had everything going for him. But he fell on Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus pulled him up short and said, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good, and that's mm. God. In other words, who do you think you're coming to? Just another rabbi? Just mm. another possible source of spiritual truth? Or do you understand who I really am? Mm. And he goes, but if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And the guy said, which ones? And Jesus, interestingly, quoted from what's called the second tablet of the law. You know, Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with two tablets. Um, you know, one of them uh, was our vertical relationship with God, the first four commandments. The last six are all horizontal, your relationship with men. Hmm. Jesus quotes from the second table a lot. doesn't say anything about this guy's relationship with God. And, uh, and uh, he said, well, all these uh, I've kept from my earliest youth. And then he says something really interesting. What do I still lack? You know, here's a guy who did everything right. Here's a guy who got the applause at a prominent position. Everybody wanted to be like him. And, uh, and he, yet he knew he still lacked. And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, whole, complete, shalom, if you will, mm -hmm. in Hebrew, you want to finally have peace in your life, here's what you do. Sell everything you have, there'll be treasure for you in heaven, and come follow me. Mm. And we're told that when he heard this, he walked sadly away, for he, was, he had great possessions. Um, basically, what Jesus was doing in that circumstance was saying to this guy, you think you're keeping the commandments? Really? Well, let's talk about the second table of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. If you're really loving your neighbor as yourself, giving everything away won't be a problem for you, right? Are you really loving your neighbor as yourself? Or maybe you need some forgiveness in this mm. area. How about the second, the first table of the law? Come follow me. Mm. Are you willing to give up your position and your prestige and your place in the community to follow me wherever I go? Mm. You know, and it's really interesting how the gospel account says when Jesus said this, he looked at him and loved him. He loved him. He wasn't trying to put him down. He wasn't yeah. trying to, to, you know, embarrass or humiliate him. He was loving him. He was trying to get him to mm -hmm. see his spiritual need. And we're told that he walked sadly away because he had great possessions. And, uh, you know, Jesus said how hard it is mm -hmm. for those who are wealthy in this world to enter the kingdom of God. I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
Uh, you know, and some people say, well, you know, that means the needle gate, you know, it was a really narrow gate in Jerusalem and you had to take all the goods off the camel and push the camel through and you could, you know, get it. No, in the Luke's account, he uses the specific term for a surgeon's suturing needle. Hmm. He says, try to push a camel through the eye of that needle. It's easier to get that camel through there than to get a rich man in the kingdom of God. And the disciples hearing that said, well, then who can be saved? Because they thought the rich were God's favorites because mm. they were so blessed. And he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Mm. You know, that's, I think, what we got to come back to is this. Left to our own devices, we'll all end up, you know, gaining the whole world and losing our souls. Mm. Uh, but God has better things for us than that. But do we want those better things? Do we really want Jesus? Do we really want to let go of the things that hold us back from knowing him and loving him mm. or you know is our christianity just kind of something we do is it a group we belong to you know is it a culture that we were raised in you know i read some of the other things that derek webb talked about about uh, being raised with christian stuff and how we love christian music and and all of this and now wants to co-opt it for this particular end you know um so sad you know you can be surrounded by the culture but not know christ not have a personal relationship with him mm -hmm. and, and if there was anything that i think really characterized the jesus movement and what made it so powerful was because it was all about jesus it was all about focusing in on him it was mm -hmm. all about knowing him personally it wasn't about joining a movement or going to a church or or you know having this massive amount of people getting baptized and all that in fact when that stuff started happening that's when the problem started mm -hmm. So we've we got to be very, very careful about this stuff. Yesterday I saw the Sound of Freedom film, and at the end, not to give anything away from the film, but uh, at the end... Spoiler alert. <laughs> Jim Caviezel, who plays the, the lead character in the, in the film, which is based on a true story, uh, gave a message about the importance of art, and the whole point of the message was to, for people to donate tickets for, so that people who did, couldn't afford a ticket go see the film. But in his message, he talked about how powerful art and media is in the communication of truth, especially gospel truth. And he made a point of that because he's a believer. And he pointed to Uncle Tom's Cabin as a huge influence in the ending of slavery and how that piece of artwork, in a sense, uh, really changed a culture, changed, right. uh, started a movement. So if art is still a powerful platform to communicate God's truth. I'm an artist, that's why I continued, that's why I remained an illusionist. When I when I became a believer <clears throat> in my late teenage years, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was into the, the magic and sleight of hand and competing. And uh, all of a sudden I get saved and I thought, well, I can't be a magician, that would be wrong. And then I met Andre Cole who was running around and I knew that I had the heart of an evangelist. My desire was to reach the law, so I would just go out to downtown Saturday night every other weekend right, and, and right. just stand on the street corner and, yeah. and just talk to people yeah. who were watching. You were kind the of the Christian David Blaine. <laughs> I was. I was, a, yeah. yeah, in a sense. And, street uh, magic, yeah. When I met Andre Cole, I thought, wow, is it possible that God could use a magician to reach the lost? And it was, it's, it's still mind blowing of the kinds of things and places that I can get away with sharing and saying that just about anybody else wouldn't be able to. So what, how, in light of the dangers of the spotlight and being put on a pedestal, just as anyone who wants to be a pastor, 
is facing those same uh, challenges and temptations, what would you say to our younger audience who is who loves the arts, whether it be acting or singing or any other performance art, uh, how can you encourage them, admonish them, and warn them of the dangers so that they can stay on the uh, the straight and narrow path, so to speak, and yet glorify God, reach the lost, edify the body, etc.? Yeah, I, I think the first thing is having a, a, a serious conviction that is what is possible for others is possible for you. You know, I, I mean, I can only speak to the uh, challenges that come with, with being a pastor. Uh, but... You know, I look at uh, some of the people that I've known uh, that have been in ministry, and uh, one of the things that I think really sets you up for failure is thinking that this will never happen to me. Well, you know, if God decides to use you in the arts and in a prominent place where a lot of people are looking at you, uh, you got to realize that especially it can happen to you. And and the the best way to make sure that it doesn't happen to you. Uh, I think there's some really important uh, scriptural principles. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse one, we were told, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rails against all wise judgment. If you find yourself in that kind of circumstance, and even if you're like in a traveling kind of a circumstance, if you find yourself in a place where you're sort of isolated, uh, you know, where, you know, you have people maybe around you that tend to your needs and all of this, but you don't have, say, a truth teller, you know, that can, mm -hmm. can really speak to you. You know, one of the things I think that has uh, been beneficial for Chris Tomlin in his contemporary Christian music ministry is the fact that Louis Giglio, the, the pastor, travels with him. Mm. and speaks at the things where Chris Tomlin often, I mean, more often than not, they, they, they do that. And I think having that grounding, having someone who is a spiritual mentor, uh, someone who's walked with God you trust, someone who knows you, uh, someone who knows your strengths and your weaknesses and so on, it's really, really huge. And, uh, you know, if you're uh, cultivating some of those, those skills, if you will, I think you need to as well be in a church where you can cultivate that kind of discipling relationship. The other thing that I think is really important is this, uh, to ask, to be constantly asking the question, okay, who's getting the glory here? You know, is God getting the glory here? Uh, do, do people, you know, the question I always ask myself is this, do people walk away from a message that we share here going, wow, that was a great message? Or do they walk away saying, wow, we serve a great God. Mm. If they think the first thing, I've failed. If they think the second thing, then that means that God's Holy Spirit has really done a work. Mm. Uh, and, and, and you really have to have, I think, that, that written uh, on your heart if you're going to stay in the right place. Uh, you know, the other thing is this. Not every opportunity is an open door. You know, if you don't pray about possibilities of being able to to uh to play or, or to preach or mm. or to go places uh, quite a few of the invitations that i get um to go and speak in different places I, you know i just don't do a lot of it uh because uh, i really feel like the lord has told me that this is where i really need to stay put i really need to stay grounded here uh and uh you know that that the more i'm here tending to my flock uh, the better off I'm going to be. 
you know, other people might have, you know, that ability to be able to travel around and do these different things and God bless them. You know, a guy like Dave Guzik, that's what he does mm-hmm. with his ministry now and the Lord uses him tremendously. But, uh, you know, for me, I think you have to have your roots deep in a local fellowship mm-hmm. where you're not the star all the time, uh, where, you know, you can be ministered to and minister to others as you have the opportunity to do so. I think, I think those are some really, really important things. Were there any other life lessons you learned uh, that, that kind of helped keep you in the proper place? Well, those place? two had, were really helpful. I remember listening to a tape of Howard Hendricks preaching at a Campus Crusade conference, Christmas conference, where he, it was called Age of Accountability. He talked about how important it is to have at least three kinds of individuals as accountability partners in your life. And then he opens the message saying, the greatest threat to your ministry is your ministry. <laughs> mm, yeah. And uh, he goes on to talk about how important it would be to have a Paul in your life, a Barnabas in your life, and a Timothy in your life. If you're not passing on uh, and ministering to someone who is younger than you spiritually, uh, if you don't have someone who is an... And then he talked about what accountability meant. And like you said, truth tellers, people who... And I've always... I was so convicted, and I remember hearing the tape, I was a brand new believer. Not brand new, but pretty new and I got into ministry pretty quick and uh, so those help but the, the thing that I would add is um, I did not come to be served but to serve if you can maintain that idea that I'm here to serve it's really helpful yeah absolutely well thank you so much for tuning in and we hope that you can join us again tomorrow uh, thank you for joining us God bless you you've been listening to a reason for hope Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.